This episode is brought to you by JLL. Get an insider view into the world of commercial real estate with JLL's podcast, Trends and Insights, the Future of Commercial Real Estate. Whether you're curious about making cities more sustainable, the evolution of office space, or AI opportunities, this podcast will help keep you a step ahead. Tune in for candid conversations with business leaders about the biggest trends impacting how we live, work, and play. Subscribe to Trends and Insights now at jll.com slash podcast. Welcome to Disruptive CEO Nation, where company founders, entrepreneurs, and cutting-edge thinkers drop in from around the globe to share startup stories, insider insights, and hard-earned success lessons. Now, here's your host, a woman who mastered business by placing heels on the ground all over the world, having worked with and coached CEOs and senior leaders from over 90 countries, and who wants you to build your best business future, Allison K. Summers. Hey, welcome to this episode of Disruptive CEO Nation. I have the privilege today of talking to one of my favorite people in the world. And as you know, I always like to introduce you to new people to add to your network. So we're going to talk today with Jeffrey Klubik. We're going to talk about his most recent book, The Integrity Game. Uh, Jeffrey is a engagement, motivation, accountability expert. We can talk about leadership. We can also talk about you know, keeping integrity and keeping that vision on path in our disruptive and ever-changing business environment. But let's get to it. Jeffrey, welcome to the program. Oh, Allison, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So why don't we do this? Why don't we start off with kind of a, a high-level summary of the integrity game? And then let's take a bounce back to some of the delightful things you've done uh, for businesses and individuals and the leaders that you've coached. But Give us the down low on the integrity game. Yeah, thank you. You know, as a as far as the book, the integrity game is concerned, it's a parable. It's a made up story that is uh, part memoir, if you will. And uh, I've infused the characters with qualities of my children. Like, God forbid, I get hit by a bus tomorrow. At least something. There's a piece of legacy there. <laughs> so my kids have read the book. My wife has led the book. All three of my kids are kind of represented by some of the characters in there. And it's a very easy to understand, digestible story with some plot twists. But I use the easy story as the Trojan horse to sneak in this ten point model of in you know it's. It's a, there's a lot of different ways we could describe it. It's a model of integrity or it's a, 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 an accountability framework or uh, it's a set of questions, if you will, question sets, 10 question sets. And the idea is that most people have what I consider to be a judgment-based understanding of integrity. When I've asked people and I've asked people all over the world, I've asked people in different contexts from you know high school kids to uh, corporate CEOs to car dealers, you know, it, I, I mean, everybody in between what is integrity. Most people will say it's be your word, do what you say you're going to do mm -hmm. or do the right thing when nobody's watching. And, 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 and as, as true as those are, there's some limitations to them. One is that it's judgment based. You weren't doing what you said you were going to do, or you're not doing the right thing. So, so integrity is usually the word that most people use when they're accusing somebody else of not having it. So the integrity game is an effort to make it fun and easy to look within. And then conceptually, you, the building I'm in right now will crumble under pressure tests without structural integrity, right? If it's not well built, well maintained and retrofit from time to time, it will crumble 
under pressure tests. So it's my argument that individuals, teams, and organizations will too. So how do we increase yeah, integrity? Yeah, I like that for phrase that we'll crumble under a pressure test yeah. if we don't have the right framework. It's a, it's a great visuality to add to my thinking when you think about it in terms of a, a, a building. Um, so sorry to jump in. Keep going. No, well, the, the thing is, yeah the, yeah, the idea is what, you know, a building will, you know, a building has structural integrity if, if it keeps standing, when it's pressure tested so that it may keep doing what it was built to do what it's made to do what it's capable of doing so you're here on the planet with a, a potential i'm here on the planet with a, a purpose a potential etc right so what am i capable of doing what why waste a good pandemic for example i wrote the integrity game during the pandemic yeah. but most people were just been one binge watching netflix but i was like wait a second pandemic or no pandemic i still have a purpose i still have a potential i'm on the planet to do something which is motivate engage hold people accountable to disrupting the status quo and, and evolution etc we'll talk about it but the idea is how do we make it easy and fun to look within every job is an inside job most people are using the word integrity accusing somebody else of not having anybody i want to make it easy and fun to look within so when we say do what you say you're going to do that's part of it but if i said i was going to drink 18 beers before this podcast and then i did drink 18 beers before the podcast, could I claim integrity? And we both know the answer is no. And you do the right thing when nobody's watching. Well, sometimes time is money. Other times patience is a virtue. How do we know what the right thing is in any given moment? And for your listeners around the world, I'm going to make fun of America right now. We can't even agree on who the president is. So how are you going to tell me what the right thing is from time to time? And I'm not speaking politically. I'm just saying sometimes if you never quit, you never lose. And sometimes you better know when to cut your losses. Sometimes we should never lie. And sometimes there's elf on a shelf and we should lie to our children for 26 days. until. It's <laughs> so, so my point is what's right. The right thing is a moving target. But a lot of times people want to sit in judgment of others and project a value onto others and hold other people accountable to not being their word. When the truth is we're always guilty of what we accuse others of. So when I ask people in my public speaking, in my seminars, my workshops, et cetera, how many of you believe you have integrity, everybody will raise their hand and then I ask them to keep their hand up and repeat after me. I, I do, do, solemnly swear, swear not to shoot the messenger. And it's a trick question because the truth is, Allison, we all have some integrity. But my argument with the integrity game is that we all need more and we can get it. And I think I'm the only person in my space, personal professional growth that's making a brand promise to the marketplace that individuals, teams, and organizations can increase their own integrity rather than just accusing their competition of not having any. Yeah. Well, one of the things I want to say about the book is when you first told me that it was a parable, I kind of like cringed because I'm like, mm -hmm. oh, it's cringy. It's a parable. But I, I will say this, um, you know, I have to admit 20 years later, I can still remember the who moved my cheese parable. Right. And I think the thing about parables, and this is a, is such a quick and easy di book to digest, right. is it's it would be easy as a leader to go through it with your teams. And they would probably roll their eyes, you know, and go, okay, but it's a baseball parable, which some people will like. Um, but it is really easy to instigate conversations. And so I want to, I want to kind of pivot now and, and talk about um, leadership and leadership conversations, because I talk to a lot of founders and business builders. And so there's a lot of change involved in, in what they're doing and yeah. integrity in light of change and disruption, whether you're scaling a business or whether you're having all of these extreme pressures, um, it's a difficult thing. You know, you said, do the right thing all the time. Well, 
yeah. that all the time changes every minute in our disruptive business world. Can you tell us some things that you see from the companies and the individuals that you work with uh, that people are struggling with today and that you think, you know, as a, as a coach, as um, a motivational and development person, you know, that, that people are struggling with and what are some of the solutions you give to them? Wow. That's where do I start? I mean, that's such a large question. I mean, uh, I think people are already always struggling with matters of integrity. Um, I think that, um, you know, one of the things that comes to mind is a lot of people are looking for the institution or looking to the leader to guide them or tell them what to do or where to go. And I think people need to take more ownership. I think people need to have answers to their own questions and then make sure their answers integrate with whoever else they're interacting with. And so that, in other words, like, let me apply this as, as a, as a, as a lecturer at San Diego state university, I'm teaching, you know, organizational communication this semester. Um, you were grateful, uh, graceful enough to come and visit the class. I still can't uh, thank you enough for that. But the idea is this at the 400 level in at San Diego state university, where the school of communication is such a strong academic and theoretical reputation, a lot of students are walking around saying, well, what do I do with my degree? And what job do I apply for with this degree? Their, their, their mindset is, this degree is going to get me a job. And I've been trying to teach them all semester. No, it's not. You decide what job you want. And then know that your communication degree and your level of performance and experience is pursuing that degree are going to help you be competitive in that job. We can't take away 100%, 100% personal responsibility. Right. So individuals that are going into a situation where they're going to be led, you still need to have self-leadership. You still need to have answers to these big questions that I'm putting out there in the integrity game. Now, for the leader, the leader has got a different challenge that they're struggling with. The leader has their own needs. The leader has the needs of their direct reports and the leader has the, the needs of the institution. So now it's like how if I'm a leader, how do I integrate? Where do I find the intersection between the organization's needs, my personal career needs as the leader, and then the needs of my direct reports. So a lot of leaders are getting so much top-down busyness delegated to them that they aren't taking enough time to really get to know their people. And so the direct reports are more pawns in a chess game rather than you know a subject of leadership, right? So when I talk about engagement, one the two major ways that I would secure engagement or I do secure engagement with my coaching clients or any or uh, companies that I'm working with is I first take the time to really get to know people. That's the, and that's a huge investment of time to really get to know somebody to get clear on who they are. First of all, whether it's through appreciative inquiry or really good uh, strategic staffing interviewing, or whether it's through behavioral assessments or a battery of behavioral assessments or right. But you have to, whatever it is, you have to take the time to get to know somebody and not where you say, you know, them, Right. But where they have the feeling that the leader knows them. Right. That that deep rapport. We're like, you know what? This person took the time to get to know me. They really do know me. And guess what's cool about that is that the time that I take to get to know somebody, they end up getting to know themselves a little better in the process. You've done this with me, Allison. You've said mm -hmm. something about me that helped me understand myself in a different way. And I like to have that impact on others as well. There's cute, the cool thing about that is when somebody looks at you and, and comments about what they're observing about you in a way that you didn't see yourself that way, it's a beautiful moment where you get to prove them right. You know, why try to spend a second proving a hater wrong when we could prove a believer right? So my point is we want to take the time to really get to know people. And then I want to know what you want. Know what do you want? What do you want? Most 
quote, leaders that are in the leadership position, they're telling their direct reports what they want. You want to do this and you want to do this and you want to do that. And the company needs this and the KPIs and the shareholders and the objectives and the double over under and the mm -hmm. annual report and the right. So anything that it gets feels pressed upon is going to press back. So there's a lot of people that are reporting to leaders that are being repelled by the leadership rather than engaged in the leadership. So if I can take the time to really get to know you and get really clear on what you want, I may not be able to promise you that you'll get what you want, but if I know what it is, now I can look for the intersection between what you want and what I want and what the organization wants. But I'm, that's impossible for me if I don't take the time to get to know who you are and what you want. Now, if I do take the time to get to know who you are and what you want, then you might get to know yourself better and get more clear on what you want, which might get you more engaged in who you are and what you want, which might give me more permission to be your leader, right? I might get permission to lead. I might get employee engagement. The, the, one of my mentors told me there's never any traffic on the extra mile. So the very first thing that oh, I want- good, good thought. Yeah, well, you're not, you're not driving an extra mile if you're not engaged. You can't wait to punch out and go home. You're sitting by the door waiting for five o'clock. Boom, you're out of there. But somebody that's engaged in their job, engaged in their team and engaged in their organization doesn't even know it's five o'clock because they're so into what they're doing until their spouse calls and says, are you coming home for dinner or not? Oh, yeah. Okay, I'll get there. <laughs> right now, all, all that aside, you know, not everybody's married, of course, not everybody has a partner. But my point is engagement is such a key piece. And it's a buzzword and everybody knows about this term engagement, but who is teaching how to get people engaged? Who has a demonstrated track record of securing engagement? How do we measure engagement and what are leaders doing to, to make sure that they secure engagement first? Because it's my opinion that if I get somebody engaged, then the rest of the model, motivation plus accountability is a hot knife through warm butter. And if, you, if you're curious, we could talk more about motivation and accountability, but the integrity game is born in the land of accountability, but I got no shot at holding you accountable if I don't have permission to lead you in the first place. Yeah, well, I think, you know, this concept of, um, as we know, is, you know, leadership um, today is is so dramatically different than it even was, I think, a decade ago. You know, all of the societal changes, all of the, um, everybody feeling that they have the, um, I'm going to say this in a nice way, that everybody feels they have the right to be their authentic self. <laughs> but when you have the right to be your authentic self, it doesn't release you from an accountability to Correct. those around you or to your employer or to other things. Um, and you can be your authentic self and and not fit in and and not get ahead. And well, so everybody has the right to be their authentic self and authentically hold you accountable if your authentic <laughs> self isn't meeting the functional accountabilities of an organization, which never change. We could talk about authenticity. We could talk about transformation. We could talk about disruption. But when we talk about the needs of a business, they don't change. Yeah. Hello, Allison. My name is Biz Ness. <laughs> First name biz, last name Ness. And I have needs. I need to know what I'm selling, who I'm selling it to. I need to know how they're going to know they can buy it. I'm going to need to know a process from getting them to unknown, to lead, to prospect, to customer. I'm going to need to serve them in a way that wants them, makes them want to repeat and refer business. I'm going to need to account for all of it financially. And I'm going to need to li limit the liabilities from a human perspective and a legal perspective. So I don't care how disruptive you are. I don't care how authentic you are. I don't care how whatever woke or inspired or authentic or transformational or whatever the buzzword is about the new thing that people want to be. 
doesn't change the needs of business. Business is simple. It's it's people that are doing business that are crazy. <laughs> you know, the business hasn't changed. What are we selling? Who are we selling it to? How do they know they can buy it? How do we convert them? How do we serve them? How do we account for all of it? And are we profiting or not? I mean, th that that doesn't change. I don't care if you want to be disruptive, authentic, or whatever. The needs of the business aren't going to change. Yeah, I I think that's so true. I think what's changed is the the attitudes of the the workforce. And I, I think this is why the the leadership and the the training that you're doing um, and that, you know, you've just built a career of pouring into other people. Jeff, I see it in Thank what you. you do. And I, I do. You you mentioned this and I just want to uh, comment on this because you you are um, being a lecturer of, you know, having a course at San Diego State University. And, you know, I know I'm very aligned with you on this, that the way we are educating and bringing our next wave of professionals up has to change. Sometimes I've sat in my children's uh, elementary and junior high and high school, and I've listened to some of the things the teachers say, and um, I disagree with it because I joke and I say, well, someday they're going to grow up and work for me and I'm going to make them cry because I think what you said is right. Is business <laughs> is business. I have business objectives. Um, and I'm a very kind and, and nice, um, and I said, I'm a nice business leader, but you know, at the end of the day, I still have things that have to get done. And so when you're at this, uh, San Diego state and you're, you're nurturing, I know you're bringing in a lot of leaders to deliver practical world experience, uh, to individuals. So, yeah. so tell us about what you're trying to do in your own little corner of the world and disrupting the way that these university students think. Yeah, well, it's my experience that, and now here's the thing. Let me say this without offending the any of the heads on top of the shoulders that I'm standing on. And what I mean by that is, you know, there is a place in the world for academic research. There's a place in the world for it. Thank God for the academics. Thank God for the researchers. Thank God that the textbook that we're using has 20 research questions on pages 10 through 12 that help us understand what are the issues that the rest of the 15 chapters and the other 500 pages are going to wrestle with. But I'm going to tell you right now, I don't remember a single, I got two degrees and I don't remember a single class I ever took where I read every word of every sentence of every paragraph of every page of every chapter of a textbook. It's just not realistic. A class is one class in a student's life. The professor, it may be their identity, their ego, it may be an icon of the history of their career. But for a student, it's one thing on the box they got to check off and move on. So there's a disconnect between how important it is to the professor and how important it is to the student. Mm -hmm. So the student, the professors, and this is what I talk about. It's autobiographical thinking, right? Professors are too autobiographical. Like, Hey, this is the class. I'm the professor. This is my identity. So et cetera, but they don't, they're not meeting the students where they're at. There's gotta be a way to keep it academic and to lean on academics. But otherwise, like, let me, how should I put it this way? I, when I went into my class, one of my classes, I got two sections this semester. One of the classes filled up right away because they went to ratemyprofessor.com and they looked me up or they Googled my name and they're like, oh, this guy's teaching the class. Right? So you haven't been trashed there yet, huh? Is that what you're saying, Jeff? Yeah, yeah. They haven't read the bathroom walls yet or whatever the case may be. But my point is it filled up and then they offered me a second. Jeff, your class filled up in four days. You, you want to teach a second section? Sure. I want to get my message out to as many people as possible, right? But um the idea is, is that um, in, in communicating with the students, I asked on day one, how many of you 
and they're all seniors. It's a 400 level class. It's an elective. I have academic freedom to make my book a required reading to supplement the textbook. But I asked, I just want to know, I need to know your audience, right? How many of you want to go on to be, uh, get a master's and a PhD? And how many of you want to be teaching this class seven years from now? Don't all raise your hands at once or I'll, I'll get a breeze up here. It was January. It's still cold outside when I asked, right? I didn't want any extra breezes in the classroom. One student. So one out of the 44. So I said, hey, all right, if you want more of an academic experience, come see me. We can customize some assignments and experiences for you. But how many of the rest of you want to get ready to go compete in the real world and go get jobs and manage your careers? And all the hands go up. Mm -hmm. Okay. Which means we got to do just enough academe, academics and research and theory to justify all of the work that's done before, all of the great work that's, you know, we have to honor the academicians, but we have to integrate the need to understand theory and to do our work based on theory and to meet the student learning objectives and to check academic boxes with the compliance and the on and on all of that stuff. We got to like, I'm only interested in it as much as I'm interested need to be. Otherwise I'm interested in students learning how to manage their careers. How do I apply for jobs? What jobs should I apply for? Uh, how do I manage myself in uh, interview situations? How do I work with other people in my classroom? How do I, you know, break out of a post-COVID situation and actually have the confidence to go and interact with my classmates and build friendships and work on projects and build the relationships that will help me later on in life, on and on and on. So I'm bringing a parade of subject matter experts from outside the classroom in because my approach is, and the bold statement I made is not to offend any researchers in academics, but the bold statement is, I don't believe students need professors and teachers. But I really believe that students, especially students getting ready to graduate, yeah. need, need coaches and mentors. And yeah. not, moreover, I also believe that there will be a day, I can't wait, I hope it happens, right? I believe very strongly, where there will no, we won't be using terms like manager or supervisor, manager, director. We're going to use the word coach. So there's already organizations right now where anybody that has direct reports they are a coach and they have their coaching clients or their direct reports are they're coaching, right? So we want to get away from management, which is managing things and get into leadership, which is leading people. And so when we get back to autobiographical, these pressures from the organization that come down on a leader to meet their KPIs or whatever their metrics are, now they see the direct report as a, uh, a resource to meet those objectives rather than seeing this person as a, a ball of talent that has the potential. It's my job to groom this person. So if I'm a leader, I need to be confident that even if I groom a person out of the position that they're in, instead of freaking out, like who's going to cover this position while this person has left me, <laughs> I'm going to be confident that I can have a strategic staffing process in place, a bench, a deep database of qualified candidates or a strategic staffing process where I can get somebody in right away because my job is to help this person reach their potential, but I got to learn what their potential is, what they want, where yeah. they want to go, et cetera. Yeah, absolutely. I am in my own organization. I've been through this exercise lately where I've said, I do have a tier that have a man manager titles, mm -hmm. um, but I've, I've been keep pressuring since the beginning of the year. I'm like, you're in charge of a business unit. You know, this, you're the business unit leader. So as the mm -hmm. business unit leader, you need to lift your head beyond what you're doing and think how your business unit interacts with the other business units. And I know, you know, in a large scale corporation, that makes sense, but we're, we're a smaller group. And, but as you said, the principles are the, are the same. And 
so I agree with you. I don't like this manager title, but I, I keep saying to him, no, as the business unit lead, you need to know how all your pages or your, your information is reflected on the website, how the customer comes through. And when they're going to your section, what are they seeing? What are they doing? What's the experience? Like you need to think beyond that I manage things or I manage people. You manage customer experiences. Um, you manage, a, you know, as a unit leader, you're ahead of a whole lot more. So I agree with you that, um, you know, there is time to kind of change some of these things. I'm going to flip and, and jump into another section and that's okay. uh, global mindset. So mm. I know, Jeff, you've had the opportunity to work and travel with business leaders through throughout the world. Um, any observations or thoughts about, like, clearly the integrity game was honed, you know, from a lot of international coaching experiences. Um, so these principles apply, I assume, everywhere. But Thoughts about international business, what you're seeing, any trends, any, any stresses, any things that, um, you know, is like an interesting point for you right now? Yeah. Well, I mean, there's so much that could come to mind. I mean, it's fascinating, you know, thank you, by the way, I, I, I did get assignments to work with entrepreneurs or people that wanted to differentiate as an entrepreneur through speaking. And, you know, it, all the assignments were fascinating from brand development to speaker training to leadership coaching and, and so many things in between. You know, one of the things that I observed, quite honestly, more intensely in, in Europe that, that, that had my eyes more open to it, you know, back here in the United States is I'll just say this addiction to stress, addiction to stress, like, um, you know, the university system. And uh, I just think that the, 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 I, I see it more in the United States now when I, I, I observed it in a different way in Europe, but I, I remember working with somebody on the speech and it was like the, the generational inheritance of like even world war II stresses, it's still alive and well in people. Right. And so um, it, it's, it's, it's hard to explain without going down a rabbit hole, but the idea is you go to, you know, get a good job and, you go to school and they, like there's there's in my opinion more discipline in other areas of the world for academics and in a corporate track um than than I've observed in America right um i have a lot of um admiration for the work ethic and then i was like oh my god these people work harder these people are smarter these people are more directed more focused less distracted they're not like what you know when you go around the world and you compare it to america right but then I realized, well, you know what? These people are addicted to stress the same way Americans are, you know, and and it's all of this pressure, pressure, pressure. It starts in school, homework and study hours and test scores and and then autobiographical professors that are projecting their identity, da, 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 right? And, and then you get into corporate and people are sleeping with their laptops. You know, they, they, they fall asleep with their laptops in bed. They wake up and their laptop is right there. And it's just, I see a huge addiction to stress that I wish I could snap my fingers and intervene upon. Now, the good news is, is that other places in the world, they get more guaranteed vacation than we get in the United States. Like, God forbid you take a day off in America. Like, you know, even if you, if it's legally owed to you, it's still, you're still, yeah, you scrutiny. don't, you don't take it off. Yeah. Jeff, I I've got to yeah. admit you once, and I don't remember how many years ago this was, but, but I remember you once looked at me and said, Allison, are you addicted to chaos? And I was like, what? And I'm like, no, I'm addicted to the hustle. You know, I'm getting things done. I'm do And you were, you were kind of like, 
take a, take a, yeah take a think this next week are you addicted to to chaos meaning you know taking on too many projects too many things like you can't like settle like or well not too many it. here's the thing you know I'll let you finish your thought I'm sorry go ahead no go that, ahead well, the idea is it's not chaos that you're addicted to. Like, like now we're getting into a different level, right? We're getting into <laughs> mindset, right? We're yeah. getting into mindset and the neuro stuff, right? We're talking emotional addiction. It's not chaos that you're addicted to. It, you Not you or one. It's not chaos that one would become addicted to. It's we create chaos so that we can feed ourselves the emotion we're addicted to. The emotion of got to, have to, need to, um, overwhelm or... Um, uh, whether, and I'm not talking about you specifically, but I'm talking about a range of emotions that in one word stress, somebody could become addicted to, you know, and you and I bond, you and I align Allison, because if it, without overstepping my bounds, you, neither of us grew up with a silver spoon in our mouths, right? We are self-made people mm -hmm. and we are living a life right now that is way more affluent than what we grew up. I will tell you, I'll go first. I remember surviving. <laughs> I remember surviving on six pieces of bread per day. That was three mustard sandwiches, one in the morning, one in the afternoon, one at night, six pieces of bread. That's I remember surviving on that. And so even though my life is different now and there's more affluence, I, it doesn't eliminate the this addiction to the notion that if I am not hustling, I will starve. Yeah. yeah. No, abs absolutely. So, absolutely. Yeah. Hey, Jeff, I we, we come up close um, to time. These interviews are short and swift, and we try to give interesting sound bites of information to our to our listeners. And I hope my listeners understand why I said, you know, Jeff is somebody that you need to add to your network and, and follow. But I always like to ask my guests, if we talk to you again in two or three years, uh, what's the vision? What's going to be the story if we visit you again um, in your life or, you know, what wonderful things will be happening or will you be delivering to the world? Yeah, thank you. If things go the way I plan them, they're the way I see them. Um, first of all, the integrity game is going to be required reading in more than just the organizational communication class, COM 406 at San Diego State in the School of Communication right now. It will be required reading in any upper division elective in the School of Communication or anywhere else at San Diego State. The integrity game will have proof of concept that it is the easy parable that gets learners engaged in the course way more than they would be otherwise if it was just a, no offense to anybody, a stuffy academic ivory tower you know, you have to do all it's of this stuff. It's not stuffy. Because, it's, right. it's easy to digest. No, 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 no. I'm talking, I'm talking about the integrity game. I'm yeah. talking about a 500 page textbook. That's you know, ah, yeah. Yeah. So, so what I'm getting at is number one, a couple of years from now, the integrity game is going to be taught in more than one class at San Diego state. And if it's two or three years from now, I cross my fingers and play my cards, right. It's going to be taught at more than one university. So I'm going to be a visiting professor at other institutions that have a progressive mindset about the educational experience. And the integrity game is going to get out there as the Trojan horse to um, kind of disrupt the way traditional education has been delivered and get students engaged in the content first. And then professors can sit back, sit back and watch the students learn with and from each other, right? Because you get somebody engaged and we, COVID proved to us when everybody was sitting at home on their Zooms, students are smart. They can do searches and they can read. So they don't need us to teach them. We need this to, we, they need us to get them engaged in what they're learning and then they'll learn with and from each other. So we need facilitators 
you follow coaches mm-hmm. and mentors. So three years from now, I'll be talking to you about other institutions that I've been invited to teach a course in. I'll be a visiting professor in other institutions or the integrity game will be adopted by certain professors and I'll be brought in as a consultant to train the trainer, but training professors how to use the integrity game to get their students engaged. And then the other thing that we're gonna be talking about is how the integrity game is being used by individuals, teams and cultures to increase the culture of integrity rather than just being a buzzword in a mission statement, that it's actually going to be actionable, measurable increases in levels of integrity and what employees would report as their levels of engagement because they actually believe there's a fidelity between what the organization is saying about integrity and how they're nurturing and investing in an increase in individual team and cultural integrity in their organization. So I want the integrity game being taught in the world's leading universities and practiced in the most employee-centric organizations to answer your question. Well, I love that vision. I love that vision. Hey, Jeff, if people want to learn more, connect with you, where should they go? What should they do? I'm easy to find. If you just type in Jeff Klubeck or Jeffrey Klubeck, whatever comes up, just click and follow your nose, right? Um, Things are growing for me, but I still answer my own stuff. So if you find me (laughs) on LinkedIn, Jeff Klubeck, or if you find me on you know Facebook or Instagram, I guess we have a channel, but LinkedIn, I think is the best way to go, you know, and, and that's, you, you send me a message, connect with me. Um, of course, if you type in integrity game, or if you type in get a clue, you'll find stuff. But I think the best place for people to go is to LinkedIn, make a connection, follow me, send me an in-mail message. Let's connect. Let's have a chat. Sounds fantastic. Hey, to our listeners, If Jeff said something that resonated with you, reach out to him and give him a thank you and or pass along a copy of this podcast episode so somebody else can learn and gain from it. Until we talk again, keep your eye on the future and always be disruptive. Jeffrey, thank you so much. Uh, You're welcome, Allison. It's been a great, great conversation. Thank you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.